Sometimes even good people will wrong you. And other times there will be people who are really trying to destroy you. In either case, faith gives you the ability to navigate problem relationships with love and with honor and helps you never doubt that God won't let opposition ruin the promise of your life. God's convicted my heart about this week is the idea that our feelings should never guide us to our response. And David in Psalms is such a good example of that. He says, I am disheartened yet I praise. You know, his, his faith reasons with his fears and his hope argues with his sorrows. He doesn't stay in the disheartened spot. He says, yet I will praise every time he goes towards praise. So come, come into praise with us this morning. Would you, would you come with us as we journey into this praise? Um, to our God, to our um, Jesus who is most high and seated on the throne.
season of Advent. Welcome to our service. I'm Julie, one of the pastors here. And Advent means arrival of something new. And we're coming into the holidays and I, at my Ohana group last night, we tackled a really good question is what is going to be difficult in this season for you in the holidays? And then what can you intentionally do to bring God into it or to respond well or to speak in or be intentional with things? It was such a good discussion. We went deep. We all, you know, the holidays bring up a lot of things for people. So it's a little intro to my prayer. I'm gonna open us in prayer. God, we thank you for Advent season. We thank you for the waiting for Christ to arrive. There's so much in that, that we can apply to so many things. And I pray this morning that as we start off with Thanksgiving, that we could really press into being thankful to spending time reflecting on the things that you've done and telling your stories that you've done in and through our lives and encouraging one another in, in the thankfulness. And we pray for the coming of Christmas and all of the preparation and all the things that go into that for each of us. It's different for each one, God. We, I just pray that we would move into it, never losing sight that you are the one that we are waiting for and that we can celebrate your birth once again. And would you bring a newness to that for us, a freshness of that for us, that Christ has come. We thank you for this morning we thank you for Sonia sharing her heart, and we uh, ask that you just get our hearts ready to receive whatever you have for us through this amazing, powerful, beautiful woman. And we love you, Jesus. Amen. Hi, Blue Water. Thanks for joining us for this week's online service. I'm Lila. And I'm Sally. And whether you're joining us internationally or from here in Hawaii, you are so, so welcome. 
We want to continue on with our worship through tithes and offerings. If you are a regular member of Blue Water, please feel free to give your tithes through the website. You'll see that there are all the different options for giving. If you're here for the first time, let the service truly be a gift to you, so please feel no obligation to give. Our Sunday fun days are still going strong. Um, for families, this Sunday, it will be at Kaimana Beach in Waikiki at 9 a.m. If you're interested in joining, please contact Rolo at bluewatermission.org and he'll get you all the information you need. All right, in other news, I wanna give you an exciting update on our Supernatural Ministries. Our value here at Blue Water is that God desires for each of us to live a supernatural life. For me personally, I have experienced physical healing. I've experienced healing internally from trauma. I've had deliverance. I've had many breakthroughs in my family and I could go on and on about God's faithfulness and his supernatural power in my life. And so here at Blue Water, we create environments for supernatural ministries. One way we do that is when we're in person on Sunday mornings, we create space for God encounters through our prayer ministry, both through our intercession team and our ministry team, which you're familiar with as our prayer line. Today, I would like to introduce you to Sally Hunt. She is our new leader for prayer ministry here at Blue Water. I've known Sally for two years when God brought her to Blue Water all the way from the UK, and I have had the opportunity to observe her over these last two years and how she walks in integrity and humility. She carries an intercession anointing and she 100% believes and has seen in her own life the power of partnering with God and ushering in his presence and seeing his supernatural power in people's lives. And we are so excited to have her. Thank you, Lila. I believe that prayer is the epicenter of being a follower of Jesus. I'm so grateful that God has given us prayer to know him and be the catalyst to bring about change and transformation first in us and then to the world around us. I've also seen breakthroughs in prayer in so many areas of my own life, personally, work life, uh, church, in ministry and on the streets. It's been amazing to be involved with Lila and the prayer team here, both online and in person over the last year. So to now take on this role of prayer ministry leader is a massive privilege. I've already seen God connecting people through prayer in our intercession teams via our prayer request button on our website and at our monthly 24 hour prayer time. We have an amazing team of godly men and women that faithfully pray over each prayer request for your healing, deliverance, breakthrough, infilling of the Holy Spirit and other miracles. I am so excited for the plans that are taking place for our prayer ministry here at Blue Water. So stay tuned as we roll these out over the coming months. Yay, it's so exciting what's happening. All right, that's it for announcements. So Jordan and I had been married for 30 years now. We met when we were 18, and outside of a couple shows that I had done as an actor, I have never kissed another boy. Uh, he's the first guy I kissed, and when we got married, we were virgins. We had not had sex until we were married. And I don't take that for granted. I think it's an incredible gift and it's something that I treasure and that we have protected and we've been faithful to one another for all these 30 years. But we had a problem. You see, through no fault of his own, my husband is a chick magnet. So he can uh, be very appealing to both men and women, but especially women. He's tall, dark, and handsome. He's athletic. Genius, musical, tender-hearted, uh, iron-principled, and he can be surprisingly funny. Uh, 
And when he's flowing in his God-given gift of teaching and leadership, I've seen him move a thousand hearts at once to faith and to courage and to worship. Now, in reality, he's absolutely imperfect, just like everybody else. And he's more honest than most of us about his struggles in life. And he often goes to bed with dirty feet. That's my pet peeve. But he's still understandably appealing to a lot of wonderful, tender-hearted women. So for 30 years of our marriage, I have watched many women swoon mildly in his wake. I've seen others attempt outright come-ons, much to his horror. In one season of life, I had three of my closest friends tell me uh, that they all had feelings for him. It was a hard night. This is also a common occupational hazard for pastors, doctors, therapists, and other caregivers. Um, but ladies, here's a tip. If you have a crush on my husband, please don't tell me and don't tell him. There are better ways to handle your emotions. Now, I don't have a problem with every woman who thinks my husband is cute. That's obvious. I just have a problem with those who try to make that cuteness theirs. Now, the first time that I had to address uh, this issue head on was many, many years ago. Uh, we were living in the mainland and um, Jordan went out of town on a ministry trip as he was wont to do in those days. Uh, I stayed at home uh, washing the dogs and working and uh, uh, he on this occasion went with a team out of the country. A few days before his return, something really interesting happened. A very dear friend of mine from college called me out of the blue. Uh, she'd had a strange dream and uh, she felt it was from the Lord. We, we were not in regular touch. And so she didn't know what was going on with us. She said, uh, Sonia, I had this dream. And I, I saw that in the dream, Jordan was in a foreign country. And he was sitting in a hotel room with a woman with this kind of hairdo and this color hair. And there wasn't any bad behavior happening in the room. Uh, but it was just a scene. And she was concerned. I said, Wow, Kim, that's interesting because in fact, Jordan is right now in a foreign country and he is in fact with a friend of ours who matches that description. I was kind of troubled. So I prayed for Jordan and I wondered what could this mean? A few days later, Jordan returned uh, to town and uh, when he got back, he told me that on the plane ride home, he was sitting next to this friend of ours and she had leaned over and confessed her love to him. He had immediately told her that that was going to be a problem and they had an awkward rest of the flight home. Well, as you can imagine, I was a little distressed. Uh, I was distressed that um, even in a meek way, this woman just verbally had crossed a boundary with my husband when I wasn't present. Um, and it wasn't just any random woman. It was in fact a friend a friend of mine who I thought loved me and respected me. Uh, my faith then helped me to respond to what I would call a frenemy in a way that's different than I might have without faith. So we are in a sermon series called, What Does Faith Get You When? 
Uh, and we're looking at various life situations in which faith might help us navigate helpfully. And it's really important, especially in a time when our culture is not helping us navigate rough waters. Um, so last week, Julie spoke inspiringly about how faith helps you through transitions. Jordan spoke about what faith gets you when you're rich, what faith gets you when you're poor. Um, and I wanna just say that as we're talking about this, for me, faith is not just a set of beliefs. Faith is, for me, my practice of connecting with Jesus. It's the way of life that I've built with Jesus. So how does my practice of living with Jesus help me when I have an enemy? Now, before we go on, go on ahead, I wanna just mention two super obvious things. I wanna just get them out of the way before we talk about how does faith get us what we need when we have enemies. And those two things are this. First, we have an enemy, a prime enemy, and he's called Satan. He's literally the adversary. Um, as a believer, we have to know that evil and enemies don't exist in a vacuum in this world. If you are an enemy or you have an enemy, you can be pretty sure that Satan is in that mix egging the situation on. So recognizing the larger spiritual war around us, it helps us navigate our little mini battles. Um, Satan is uh, out to kill, steal, and destroy. That's what Jesus said, that's who he's about. Kill, steal, and destroy. So that's the first obvious thing. The second obvious thing is this. We have to love our enemies. If we are believers, we're following a Lord who says, love your enemies. And to be honest, sometimes that's not good news to me. It doesn't feel great to say, oh, I gotta love my enemies, but that is an indisputably part of the package of following Jesus because Jesus's kingdom mission is to turn enemies into friends. God's uh, committed to radical reconciliation. So whatever I say in the rest of the sermon, there, that's gonna be a baseline. We're called to love our enemies. Um, as much as we might balk at that concept, that's God's jam. He's all about reconciliation and restoration. So that's the obvious stuff. We got that out of the way. Uh, but I want to talk about how. How does this happen? Because uh, without Jesus, it is impossible to do this thing, to love our enemies um, or to respond to uh, transgression in a helpful way. So let's go back to my first story. So here's what happened. Remember, my college friend had this prophetic dream that she called me about out of the blue. And God uses prophecy. He used prophecy to reassure me. When you walk with Jesus and you're in communication with him, he will give you guidance that gives you a real leg up on your situation. So God was speaking to me ahead of time to say, don't worry. This is a real situation, but I am monitoring it. I'm several steps ahead. Um, my prophets are all around the world. They are at my beck and call. I have resources that you don't know about. So you can act with confidence and not react with fear. Now, this is a mystery that theologians have argued about for centuries. You know, God sees everything. He knows everything, but he gives us free will. And he's sovereignly able 
to make all things work together for our good. I don't understand the calculus. We're not told how that can actually work. But we do know that God does not play defense. He only plays offense. Even the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross was an offensive mood move, not a defensive move. So even though we are earthbound, time-bound humans, we can act as if we are playing offensively and not defensively when we're dealing with enemies. And that's a huge leg up. Um, so because of this, what, what we ended up doing, Jordan and I were able to sit down and have a really challenging conversation with our friend. We sat down in a room, we talked about what happened, we talked about steps ahead. Now, I'm not telling you that I wasn't miffed, I was. I'm not saying there wasn't emotion in the room, but it was far less than if I didn't know that God was involved in this. Um, and my faith allowed me to treat the, com the conversation and the issue with appropriate gravity without flipped out fear. Um, we explained that we need to restrict our relationship for a time. Um, she understood, she was terribly embarrassed, God bless her, um, but she did her best to humbly work on her own issues and she's a sincere follower of Jesus. So when we're not defensive, when we have the, the confidence that God has your back, we're able to have awkward conversations with enemies, with frenemies. And I would just wanna say that's something that I wanna encourage us to think about a lot in this season. You can have an awkward conversation. We don't have to be defensive because God, we know that God has several steps ahead and he's rooting for us. In our situation, about two years later, um, I felt like I could really reach out to her and check in on how we were doing. And we restarted our relationship. We began to relate in healthy, respectful ways. And um, I gotta say, praise God, because today this gal is a dear friend of ours. We have mutual support and blessing for one another. Uh, we genuinely love one another. And it's faith that has accomplished this. Uh, turn with me, if you would, to 1 Kings 21, and we're going to look at a scripture, a story which has some really interesting resonance to the personal story I just gave. It's a, it's such a really amazing, fascinating, troubling, cool story. If you have not read this thing, it's called the Bible. It's so amazing. You should read it. You will laugh. You will cry. You will learn a lot, and you'll be equipped for life. Okay, that's my commercial for the Bible. Um, so, First Kings 21. And I'm going to summarize some of it, and I'll read some parts of it verbatim. So sometime later, there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth the Jezreelite. The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Now, Ahab said to Naboth, let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden, since it's close to my palace. And in exchange, I'll give you a better vineyard. Or if you prefer, I'll pay uh, you whatever it's worth. Super friendly, very um, nice offer. But Naboth replied, 
the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. So to Naboth, it's, it's precious and he's not willing to sell. Uh, Ahab goes home very sad. He wants his vineyard and he doesn't know what to do about it. And he's pouting. And thankfully he has an awesome wife. Her name is Jezebel. And Jezebel says to Naboth, cheer up, cheer up. I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So what happens here is Jezebel is super resourceful. She arranges a fancy dinner for Naboth, gets him into a place of honor. So he's really not, it's, it's a very friendly situation. And then she uh, manages to have some accusers, false accusers, get up and accuse him of treason basically, and have him stoned to death. Um, and then happily, she lets her husband know, don't worry, the vineyard's yours, go get it. So great to have awesome, supportive husbands and wives, isn't it? Now enemies, this is a perfect example. Enemies hardly ever start out as enemies, do they? Ahab didn't wake up that day and say, I'm gonna kill Naboth. You know, we don't get up and say in the morning, I'm gonna, I'm gonna assassinate her character. I'm gonna steal his business. That hardly ever happens. James, the Apostle James writes uh, in chapter four of his letter, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, and so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. The path to enemies, the path to violence, is just a little garden path of, I want that thing. I don't have that thing. How could I get that thing? Who's in the way of that thing? I can take care of that. That's a tricky path. And I just, I think it's helpful for us to recognize ourselves in that. You know, it's, and to see one another in that. We're imperfect people. We live in a perfect world. We don't necessarily start out like hating one another. We're led by, uh, something that feels very innocuous. So my friend, she wasn't trying to disrupt my marriage or betray me. She was just focused on getting something she wanted at a lonely moment in her life. Ahab just wanted a place to plant his radishes and his cucumbers. He wasn't trying to murder anybody. It's just that things get out of hand. People get in the way. Now let's, let's continue reading on in this story because the next part is very fascinating. So Ahab goes um, over to the vineyard to take it, take it over. Um, and God sends his prophet Elijah to intercept him. Ahab said to Elijah, So you have found me, my enemy? I have found you, he answered, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. He says, I'm going to bring disaster on you. I will wipe out your descendants, cut off Ahab from every last male in Israel. Basically he says, desolation is coming to your household because I've seen what you've done. And concerning Jezebel, dogs will devour Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. So it's very interesting, you know, uh, how the Lord uses prophecy, how the Lord sends his messengers. You know, they come because God says, 
uh, I just need you to know that I'm on this situation. I'm on it. Uh, and then, most amazingly in the passage, it goes on to say this. When Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and fasted. He lay in sackcloth and went around meekly. Then listen to this. Get this. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Have you noticed? Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he's humbled himself before me, I will not bring this disaster in his day. God changed his mind because of the attitude of humility. Isn't that nuts? I mean, Ahab is called the most vile king in Israel. He was the most wicked dude. I mean, none of us have an Ahab in our life. And how much more are we resistant to uh, responding with reconciliation toward our enemy? Yet God responded to his humility. So we can take courage that no matter what the transgression is, maybe it's some awkwardness in a relationship, maybe it's something as, as awful as a murder, no matter what the situation is, we know that God sees it and he's one step ahead. And because of that, we can respond with confidence and not defensively. We can respond, we can act rather than react. So this leads me to my second point. Uh, the way that God responds to enemies is fascinating. God is soft on people, but hard on evil. I would like to say, suggest that, so faith makes us like good toilet paper. Soft on people and hard on crap. How's your Charmin doing? Are you tough on evil? and soft on people? Or are you hard on people and soft on crap? I think actually these days, we're kind of tending toward the latter. And I just wanna say, I think there's a little correction for us because God is soft on people and hard on crap. There's a way in which I think it's easier for us to be hard on people because it's so easy to just punish someone standing in front of you and it feels good to kind of get your anger out, but that's not God's way. I mean, Ahab was the worst of the worst, but God was soft on him in the end, wasn't he? Although he was extremely clear about his intolerance for, for Ahab's evil. God is eager to hold back disaster. He almost sounds excited when he says to Elijah, you know, have you noticed Ahab's repentance? And I think that's how we, as people of faith, uh, can treat our enemies. Um, our culture is increasingly agnostic about morality and righteousness, but we're really inflexible. We're really dug in with people that we don't like, people who have offended us, or um, we have a hard time fighting for principles of righteousness, fighting against principles of evil, but we're really quick to fight against uh, people. Um, and I think the Lord would say, it doesn't have to be that way. You can walk to loving your enemies if you are 
following my lead. I'm going to close um, this message with a second story from my personal vault. Um, and it's a tough story for me because it also involves another sort of frenemy situation. You know, Jesus said the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Um, my first story was a really mild story. I mean, in the end, nothing really happened uh, between uh, my girlfriend and Jordan. It was more of a, an awkwardness. Um, but it was, kind of falls in the category of stealing. This second, second story really falls more under the category of killing and destroying. Uh, and this is what happened. Uh, many years ago, Jordan and I had a horrendous experience with a pastor who really abused his power. Uh, through tools of libel and suspicion, he effectively killed our ministry life. So here's what happened. We had been involved with a mainland church and, uh, many years ago with some college friends. Uh, the lead pastor was a brilliant, gifted man who, who really personally blessed me. Uh, he saw me, he saw my gifts, he invited me to join the staff team. I joined the pastoral team and I threw myself into that church. Um, Jordan and I led a small group in our house. It, it developed into a huge, uh, uh, wonderful, vibrant place. Uh, the beginnings of Jordan's teachings on uh, miracle work came out of that small group. Uh, it, was, it was very vibrant. Uh, we led worship sometimes. We were on the core team of the church. But uh, after a few years, some, we began to come into some rough relational patches. And I'm sure that we weren't perfect. Uh, there were people rubbing against one another in sort of personality ways. Um, later, one of the pastors actually confessed to us that he was afraid Jordan was trying to take over his job. Uh, the lead pastor had a problem with this vague thing he called with Jordan's lack of warmth. It was all kind of squishy-gushy, uh, but it led to tension. And out of that, I decided that it was getting too difficult for me, and I, I decided to step down from my pastoral position. Um, and we decided that in order to kind of keep things moving in a positive direction, we would quietly leave the church and that we would church plant somewhere else because we'd already been involved like I think three church plants up to that point. So that was in our DNA. And in that denomination, you had to submit your application for church planning to the senior pastor. And he declined to recommend us. Uh, he refused to send our application forward. Uh, about 30 of our friends met with him to ask him what was going on. Why the block? Why did he not uh, um, why did he refuse to recommend us a church plant? And in that meeting, he told them that he had called uh, several of our old pastors around the country and that they had each confirmed his analysis that we were dangerous people and therefore he couldn't recommend us. Uh, a good friend in that group who was also a pastor of the church asked the senior pastor, point blank, if Jordan and Sonia want to know who those people are, will you tell them? And he said, oh, sure, absolutely. If they want to ask me, I will tell them. I was at his office the next day asking for who exactly uh, thought that we were dangerous people. And he declined to tell me. He said he didn't feel comfortable uh, with sharing names. This was super damaging. Uh, this frenemy 
enemy didn't just take something that we had. He, in a sense, poisoned our fields so they could no longer produce. He more or less blackballed us in the church organization that we'd served the last 15 years you know, around the country. He scattered seeds of suspicion in my own heart and shame because at that point, I seriously thought, well, maybe somebody does think we're dangerous. I didn't know. Uh, for the next year, uh, we worked through a nauseating process of seeking out each of our former pastors around the country and asking them, could it be, did you possibly have a conversation and share that you thought we were dangerous or unfit for leadership? In the end, thankfully, each one said, yes, they'd had a conversation, but did not in any way uh, confirm those sorts of doubts and suspicions. Nonetheless, it was, uh, it was uh, like a poison. You know, I think it had enough in it and to me to sort of plant a, um, a loss of faith in the church as an entity, which is a horrible thing for someone who's committed her life to serving the church. But I remember in that time, just I remember being in a grocery store, pushing my cart through the produce section and saying to the Lord, church is a horrible idea. Why did you invent church? That was dumb, you know? Uh, and we uh, had isolated ourselves because we didn't want to damage the community. So we uh, had moved out of the church and we're living about an hour away and we were really in a place of isolation. We didn't feel like we could talk to people because we didn't want to create more damage. Um, I uh, have often thought, many of you know that I had seven miscarriages uh, actually around that time. Um, but the church loss and the betrayal of that situation, of that pastor, it was more painful to me than all my miscarriages. I, I've always uh, felt that way. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. God protected our calling and he gave us a future. I'm here to testify to you today that when enemies take your life, faith can reboot it unimaginably. And that's what happened. I had a dream during that time that was instrumental for me in guiding me through this. I dreamt, I uh, remember uh, in that period, I dreamt I was in a big stone castle and the only way out of this castle, I was trying to get out, was through a basement passage. And in the basement passage, there was a big door and I had to open the door and walk through a hallway and there was another door on the far end. The only problem was I couldn't touch the doors with both hands. I had to let one door close behind me in order to get to the far exit door. And the inside was dark. And that became a guiding principle for me. Um, I began to uh, pray my way through it. I began to accept the death of the previous season. I began to say, I will let this door close. I will let this door close. I do not want to do this. I will let it close behind me. Uh, number two, I was gonna walk through that dark passageway and for me, practically, for us living there, out in, we were out in the country, in this cold country and kind of alone, it felt like being hung out to dry. It felt like being lost and aimless. 
And this for me was giving up control. I will let the door close behind me and I will walk in the dark. I will walk in the dark. I will give up control. And again, it just felt like being hung out to dry. And then, I think this is the, the third part was most important. I began to find a way to practice my faith. I began to say to God, I still believe. I still believe. Sometimes during worship, that's the only thing I would sing. I still believe. I couldn't sing the rest of the words. No, I still believe. And this was focusing on a door ahead of me, a door that I could not see. I said, there's a door ahead of me. I don't see it, but I still believe. One day, shortly, longly, after that season, it was like maybe a year later, the phone rang out of the blue. We were living on the East Coast, far away. Phone rang out of the blue. We were out of options. We didn't know what we were doing. We were hanging out. I think I was pregnant at the time. We were in financial straits. The phone rang out of the blue. Before he picked the phone up, Jordan heard the Lord say in his head, that's Dan Chun. He's calling you from Hawaii. He's going to offer you a job. And it was. Six months later, we were in Hawaii. And six months after that, we had our first child, my daughter. New life and resurrection came in a way we would not have imagined in a million years. Our enemies were still there, but it didn't matter. We were eating from the table of God in the presence of our enemies. Just like it says in Psalm 23, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. As most of you know, we spent four years ministering at First Pres. Um, we still have dear friends there. Um, and then we began Blue Water Mission. We love this church. Uh, we've seen you all and a host of others have lives transformed and changed the world as God changes your lives. You know, ironically, that pastor who blackballed us from that movement, he's no longer with that movement. He's, he's off somewhere else doing his own thing. But Jordan and I have continued to see legacy from our lives in that very movement. And we were at a, a conference recently with a whole bunch of those people, and we were welcomed like family. Uh, God preserved our future. He preserved our legacy. When the enemy comes to destroy your life, when in fact he appears to actually succeed in taking your life, there is a reboot that faith will give you. Um, closing thought. The battle is real. You may be in conflict with a friend, a competitor, a family member, or with Satan himself. I don't want you to take what I'm saying in this message at all, like I'm minimizing your fight. I'm not. I fully respect your battle. And people around us are losing their lives, their livelihoods, their mental health, their freedom, their faith. And actions do matter. But hear this. My experience and what I see in the scriptures is that attitude is what you need. Attitude, even more than your actions. In particular, in particular humility and faith 
humility and faith have the power to completely rearrange the battlefield. If I could tell you anything today about how faith helps you when you have enemies, I would say it's the attitude that faith produces in you, humility and faith. Remember Ahab, God notices humility and he changes the game. Our God is a humble God and he is attracted to humility. And hang on to that inner voice of faith. Tell God, I still believe you. I still believe you. I still believe you. And goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life and you'll live in the house of the Lord forever. You and I will encounter so many different types of situations in life. Sometimes people will hurt you. Sometimes people will do it without malice. Sometimes they'll do it with malice. But God is faithful and he has a way to keep us engaged with him. We listen to him, lean into his voice. He will not fail us. He's out to restore relationships. He's out to fulfill his promise over our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you that you work all things for our good. Thank you that while we were still enemies, Jesus died for us. Thank you that you're committed to the mission. You're committed to restoration and that you invited us to be part of that. I pray today, Lord, that you would infuse us with an, a new mindset toward enemies and toward uh, situations where it feels like we've been beat by enemies. Lord, I pray you'd raise up a spirit of faith, of humility, and of forward motion. God, I thank you for the testimonies of my own life, how they testify back to me, even in this season. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Hey guys, I hope you got a lot out of Sonia's message this week. It's a helpful reminder for us to be humble and let the Lord fight our battles for us even when people are coming against us. Jesus guarantees that those troubles will come in this world. And if that's something that you're going through right now, I think Sonia's message can be really helpful for you to just kind of take a minute and let God be the Lord of that situation. Um, if you feel like you have need for prayer for anything this week, please go to our website at bluewatermission.org slash pray and you can submit your prayer requests there. Um, and if you want somebody to pray with you personally, um, you can write that in the box there and somebody will get in touch with you and pray with you if you would like. Um, in other news, this week, or last week really, I took the high schoolers from our church on a camping trip which was amazing. We had a great time. We had like half of them who had never been camping before. And it was such a great time of community, sharing stories, laughing, and just being together again in an outside safe environment, of course. Um, and I just wanna encourage you guys, if you have any way that you can do that with your Christian brothers and sisters, with your community, with your people, go out there and do it because it was so refreshing to all of us. Um, and so I hope that you guys can find ways to do that yourselves and you feel inspired by these crazy pictures and videos that you say see going across your screen now. Um, let me pray for you guys. Jesus, I just pray that you would give everybody in our Blue Water Ohana the strength um, and the willingness to just trust you in the middle of a storm, the, the release 
of, you know, we don't have to hold these people accountable for how they're treating us. They have to answer to you and you are in charge of our lives. You hold our lives and so we don't actually have to worry about it because we can just be humble and know that you are going to take care of our situations for us. I pray that you would fill everybody with divine energy this week and just, yeah, energy that goes past any of those obstacles that are coming at us. Um, yeah, amen. Be blessed everyone this week.